When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 165th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. In this episode, I share highlights from my Dial Up the Dream online event, and I share the background story of my new best-selling book, Dial Up the Dream. I also interview four amazing, authentic, and knowledgeable women. First, Neha Gupta, the author and founder of College Shortcuts. Second, Sherry Dusan, who's a Texas and an Arizona licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice and the founder and director of the Center of Postpartum Family Health in Houston, Texas. Three, Anne McKittrick, parenting coach, early childhood educator and founder of Nurture Noggins. And fourth, Sue Ludwig, author of Tiny Humans, Big Lessons, and the president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, Nant. Sherry, Anne, and Sue also share the challenges and rewards of parenting a late teen to early 20s daughter. All right, let's jump in. I just want to welcome everybody. I'm going to be your host here for the next two hours as well, so I'll be riffing in and out with Colleen as we go. I've known this lady since 2008, June 2008, when we were at one of Christine Kane's amazing retreats. We have been together ever since. We've been in, <clears throat> in mastermind programs together. We've hiked, uh, we've played out. We've spent so many hours at Biltmore. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even count them, I think. Um, and we're actually accountability buddies as well. We catch up with each other every week. 
she's a wonderful thing. And this, this woman, I love to pieces. So I am so thrilled and excited for you in your book launch uh, today. Just tell you a little bit about me, just brief information as much as I can. I'm Elaine Bailey Anderson. I'm founder and CEO of Coach Brilliant, which is a coaching academy that serves professional coaches, therapists, service-based business owners, offering trainings and certifications as well as business and marketing strategy. So, but that's enough about me because I'd love to talk about uh, Colleen now and give you a little bit of information. All right, let me tell you about this wonderful woman then. I've already introduced her a little bit in the sense of my experience of Colleen, but Colleen is, and you, a lot of you know this already, but if not, she's a licensed therapist, coach and trainer who's helped mums reduce drama, reclaim their lives and dial up their dreams with their teen and young adult daughters. After 50,000 hours, my goodness, of working with mums and daughters and having lived it as well with her own daughter, she's published, she did originally publish her award-winning best-selling book, you may have it already, Dial Down the Drama, which is Dial Down the Drama, Reduce Conflict, and reconnect with your teenage daughter, a guide for mothers everywhere. Now, Colleen has shared her message of practical hope with mums worldwide in things like Parents Magazine, Wall Street Journal, uh, Lunch Break, popular parenting podcasts, and even on the red carpet at TEDx Wilmington. So without more information from me, I think, <laughs> I think we'll bring the woman on herself. Uh, so Colleen, you've got the floor, my friend. First of all, I'm so glad that you're here and this is a big deal for me today and that y'all showed up is a big deal. I'm just so full of gratitude right now. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Dial Up the Dream. So why did I write Dial Up the Dream? Dial Down the Drama takes you through those preteen years to the teen years. And then all of you moms, I have listened to you, like Elaine said, 50,000 hours. And I keep hearing you and you keep saying, so what about this? I'm confused, what do I do? Letting go is so horrible. And, what is my role now? I kept hearing the same things over and over again. And I realized that I needed to write a book that would help you through a really confusing time of mother's life. That 17, 18 to 25 years is super confusing. And I wanted to validate your feelings because it's hard. And I've talked to several moms. And one of the things is, when your kids get older, it's really hard to be honest and authentic with each other. You just tend to share accomplishments like, oh, my daughter got into Duke. Oh, my daughter got into this, you know, amazing college. But even if your daughter got into Harvard, it's hard. This transition's hard. And it doesn't mean that there aren't hard issues to deal with. And I also wrote this book because I lived the transition with my own daughter. I remember years ago, <laughs> I spoke at the Texas Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, and I said, you know, mothers just need to individuate from your daughters. Like that was an easy thing. And now that I lived it with my own daughter, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is rough. It's good, but it is rough. As a marriage and family therapist, which I've been for 28 years, they talk about family life cycles. Like you have individual life cycles, and you, but you have family life cycles. So you have an adult, and you have an adult that couples, and then you have a couple that has small children. And then you have a teen. And then they talk about 
launching a teen as a family life cycle. And I used to think that was funny because it just sounds like you launch a teen out of a cannon across the country to college and everything is good. Like it's a, a one and done, they are launched. And that is like the farthest thing from the truth with a young adult, if people who have lived through that. And here's why this is a confusing, ambiguous time. And mothers, you know this intuitively, and this is why I wanted to validate your feelings. When your kid is in high school and you go, okay, all I need to do is figure out the next step after high school. And so you do that and go, yay, I did it. And they get accepted. And then your teen turns 18 and then they're legally adult. And so you're done, right? Because they're legally an adult. But wait a minute. If the prefrontal cortex is not developed until 25, huh, what's up with that? So mom, this is why you look at your 18 year old and you go, should they be going to college? I mean, they can't even do their laundry. They can't even come home on time. They can't even get up to go to school. And the truth is, is that you are sending an immature person to college. And you know what? We all know this because there wouldn't be 5 million movies about all the crazy stuff people do in college, right? So we know this. So there is a maturity gap. Your daughter and son, they're intellectually mature. They're mentally mature, but they're emotionally immature. They make impulsive decisions and they use poor judgment. And that is based on neuroscience. So studies by developmental psychologists have identified a general principle. Different human abilities develop at different rates and reach their highest point of development at different ages in different people. Talk about vague and confusing and wishy-washy. So that is why we can't say in brain development or in terms of ages at 19, they're gonna act this way, at 20, they're gonna act this way, or 23, they're gonna act this way. It all varies. And you know what? I don't have to tell you all that because you have experienced it. So in this book, I focus on relationships. What does your relationship look like now in this new transition? What is your role in this new transition? And what's next for you in this new transition? When your daughter leaves, even if you are like super mad at her, it's a huge hole. It hurts. And that's just how it is. When I asked a bunch of moms, what do you miss about your daughter who had maybe sophomores in college? And what they said was so intimate, like those little inside jokes. It's all very intimate and personal between you and your daughter. Like I miss her perfumes. I miss walking past her room and seeing her in there. I miss Manny Petties. I miss her baking, you know, in the kitchen. I miss going to get coffee on Saturday morning. It's very intimate. And the grief is always specific. And I would say there's also relief, but let me talk about the grief first. So the good news is underneath all those things that you enjoy with your teen, what that is, is your connection with her, that relationship. That's why you like to sit in bed and watch the movie together. There's a connection. 
And that thing that you might think is secondary in the high school years becomes primary in the 17 to 25 year old stage. That connection you want to keep going. When you're sending your teens away, it can feel like a death. And the good news, it's not a death, it's just a change. Your relationship with your daughter is still essential. It's so essential. And in one of my chapters, I talk about the five facets for the new foundation. And this is really based on attachment theory. You are the secure base for your daughter. You are home base. You remember playing chase and everybody runs around crazy. But then when you land on home base, you are safe. And that's what it's like for our teens. When they go away, they are having to deal with huge social pressures and academic pressures. But when they get to come home, you want that to be a place where it's like safe. They can exhale, they can relax, and they're not going to stay there forever. They stay there to catch their breath. Other things, you want to be a positive mirror for them. You want to say, I know you feel like you're nobody in college, but I see you. I see you because you see them. So I want to talk about your role is essential. So because if you understand that immature brain, that means they're going to make immature decisions. So in the high school years, you spend a lot of time monitoring your teens. What that looks like is get up. You need to do your homework. Okay, it's time to go to bed. Okay, I need to get your phone. Okay, you need to get your shoes to go to soccer. And basically, you are managing your teen, which sometimes feels like herding cats because they're hard to manage. But that's what you're trying to do. Now, hopefully, in those junior, senior years, you're letting out the leash and letting them figure out how they can start to manage their life in little ways. Like, where do they study? How do they study? Because the big developmental task for your person who is now in college is how to manage themselves. And that's a huge one. And if they have been on a choke chain with you and you've managed everything and then they're boom, free to learn how to self-manage, it doesn't look good. Because I'll tell you why. I was an associate head resident for three years for 400 freshman girls. I saw what that looked like. Those who were on choke chains to complete freedom ended up passed out in frat houses. So they have to learn to manage their time, their money, their relationships, studies, eating, rest. That's a pretty big deal to have to learn how to do all of that. I like to say there is no straight arrow to success. In our culture, we're kind of fed that line and we all secretly, moms, we all hope that that's true, that your daughter, who was a mess in high school, graduates, and then it's like, choof, success, straight arrow, success. I know I'm bursting some of your bubbles, but what it looks like actually is it's like it goes up, oh, yay, and then it goes down, and it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. It's a super jagged up and down path to success. But I want to tell you, moms, that's normal. You're not a bad mom. Because if you base your value on where your kid is, 
think of that jagged arrow of success. I'm a great mom. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a great mom. I'm a terrible mom. We just are on this roller coaster as your teens stumble forward towards success. Issues surface during this time. And I know we kind of know this, but we just hope it's not true. Like you see all these issues that are in your daughter in high school and you think, oh, she's going to get to college and they're all gone. I want to help you know you're not a terrible mom if they surface. I want us to have a bigger picture of what success looks like. I want you to have a holistic view of success. If your view of success is, oh, my daughter's great. She has all A's. She got into a good college, but she could be a freaking mess. And I've seen those girls. I've seen the girls who've been in my practice who are triple majors and they hate their life, hate it. So if issues surface, then your role changes from monitor to more of a consultant, then you can triage people to help her. Get the right people. If she has a hard time with time management, you get someone with time management. If they have more issues with anxiety or eating disorders or any of that, you get them some professional help. This is good. You're not a failure. It's good because you want them to be healing those parts of themselves and finding what they want to do with their life. It's both. You want a big holistic picture. So I talk about all these confusing things, like what's my role here? I talk about how to turn hard conversations into healing conversations and what to do with setbacks. Because sometimes setbacks happen and we never want them to happen to our own daughters. And that's super hard on our hearts, but it's not the end of the world. And so I dive into that in this book. So then the next section is what's next for you? You moms, there is something next for you. It took me seven chapters to get to chapter eight. Well, obviously we can do the math. (laughs) But chapter eight is called the mom crisis. So I'm gonna tell you a little story. For a few years, my daughter lived close by. She lived in Houston, I'm from Houston. Then she moved to Austin, which is only a few hours away. My sister lives there. But then she got a job in LA. And then I was like, oh, that's far. That's really far. And so she wanted to drive all the way across to LA by herself. And I said, no, no, no. And my friend Sherry, who's here, and you'll meet her in a second. I decided that I would drive from Houston to Tucson with her and we'd spend the night there and then she could go on by herself to LA. So the next morning, when she was about to leave, she wanted to leave it real early. It was raining. I wanted to have a big hug and say all these words. And she was just by, you know, gets in the car and drives off. And I'm like, "Ah!" and I just felt my insides were imploding. And I tried to be really strong in front of Sherry, like, okay, yeah, I mean, people leave, it's okay. And so Sherry knew this is BS. And she said, well, let's go for a drive. So we drive up in the mountains and I'm looking at all the saguaro cacti and it's beautiful. And then the phone rings and I answer it and it's my daughter. She had driven one hour to Phoenix and she said, mom, can you send me money? I want to buy a cup of coffee and I have a flat tire. (laughs) Now this is ridiculous, 
but I was like, she needs me. I was so happy. My daughter needs me. I'm still relevant. The mom crisis happens when she doesn't really need you. There gets to a place that she has her own people. She got her job and you don't feel that needed anymore. And that hole, that is when you can feel really lost. What first comes up for moms is the crisis part. And you feel like you haven't gotten appreciated. You haven't gotten the validation. What comes up first is the dirt. It comes up as the resentment, the disappointments. And you say, was it worth it? I quit my job. I quit my career. What I call the first draft, you think that you've lost more than you've gained by being a mom. It feels like you've just lost. You look in the mirror and you go, yo, you look old. It's been 20 years. What happened to you? And it's real depressing. So I don't want to keep you there. The first draft is important because you need to validate those feelings. But I want to move you into the second draft. And the second draft is where you learn to validate yourself and you have compassion for yourself. And you you go, you know what? This has been effing hard. But I am a better person for it. And I have way more gifts and abilities than I had a kajillion years ago. So here, mom, the story you tell yourself is so important. So if you're stuck in the first draft story, I guarantee you, you feel like you have nothing, your life, your future is nothing, and you become super clingy to your daughter and you will be miserable. The second draft Getting the second draft is crucial for your development because that sets you back on your own path. So I want to tell you a little story that I began my last chapter, The Choice, about. So you know how you have to get that annual mammogram and no one likes to get the annual mammogram. So it was, I went really early in the morning, I was half asleep, and then I had this annoying technician who was super chatty and she, her name, I call her Betty. And so Betty puts one of my girls in those little silver plates, crank, crank, crank. And she says, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I help moms have good relationships with your daughter. And she says, oh, that's nice. Crank, did you write a book? I I did. Crank, I won't read it. I don't read self-help books. So then she says, don't move. And then she said, I love to look at my daughter when she was sleeping because when she was awake, she was a fire breathing dragon. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I'm not even awake, haven't had any coffee. So then other girl was put in the plate and it was crank, crank, crank. And you know that last crank, you know, and your face is smashed up against the machine and you, you can't get any air. She said, this is what she said. I prayed a mother curse on my daughter. And I said, what, what's, a, what's a mother curse? And she said that she would have a daughter that is mean to her as she has been to me. And then I found out that the mother curse is a thing. It's a thing. I am not about perpetuating a mother curse of having your daughter experience your pain so that she would know what that's like. So you have a choice. If you're stuck in the first draft, 
where it's all bitterness and resentment, you're going to pray the mother curse. But I want to move you from the first draft to the second draft and see your life is just beginning. All right. So next up is Neha Gupta. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sanea, can you tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Absolutely. So first, I just want to say thank you, Colleen, for having me on. As you know, I'm a huge supporter of your work. I think you're amazing. You've changed my life personally. So I'm so glad to serve and support your community here. A little bit about me. I am from Houston, Texas. I went to Rice University. I'm a total nerd. And I ended up finding my passion while in high school where I got to tutor children. And I found out that I just loved kids, specifically teenagers uh, over time. And so what I do is I run a company now that I founded called collegeshortcuts.com. And what we do is we really help students as early as middle school to figure out, you know, what is it they're interested in? What is their personality? How do we help them with their passion? And then help them get into the colleges they really want to go to. I love moms. They're my favorite people. I think moms need a whole village to support them. For sure. Neha, I remember that you and I had a conversation and it was very in the beginning of the book. The first chapter of my book is the junior senior parenting zone. (laughs) And so I know that you talk to moms all the time and I would see moms who are super stressed out about the college process and frustrated with their daughters. And so you and I had a conversation that was super helpful to kind of shape my thoughts about that chapter. So what traps do you see moms typically fall into the junior senior year? I think first, one of the big things to realize is that junior year is the hardest year of high school out of every year. People think it's senior year and it's not, it's actually junior year. So knowing that's coming and having that awareness, I think is very powerful. I also think the second part is, is that, you know, we are just like in the peak of all that hormonal stuff and there's a lot of shifts and changes happening and Also, your teenager is trying to literally detach and like slash that umbilical cord. And so what happens is a lot of tension. You know, to talk a little bit about me, I made my mom's life a living (laughs) H-E-double-L-L, which is why I created this solution, because I realized that I was a really hard teenager, even though on the outside, everything looked perfect. We were always dressed nicely. We went to top schools and private schools and everything looked great, but On the inside of her house, my mom and I were screaming, I'd say at least twice a week. I can tell you there's light at the end of the tunnel. My mom and I are besties now, but I try to create a solution where like having a coach to help your teenager is not a bad thing. Having someone else that's giving the direction, like you could say something as a mom 50 times. And it's like, by the time they've gotten to that age, it's like in one ear, out the other. And I see this all the time with parents where they'll like try to push and push and push. And then I come in and within like a session or two, the kid's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to study for my SAT or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this. And the mom's like, I don't know how you did that. I think the big thing is, is I'm not her, you know, that's one aspect to it. It's like, I'm not there day in and day out doing that type of work. Second, I'm closer to their age. And so they feel like, oh, this is someone who's like a few steps ahead and it's an outside party. And so for us, I think it's really about being able to just, kind of like relax into the admissions process because this is when your child leaves. And if it's not done in a beautiful way, 
like you want them to be able to call you when you are in college and they need help. And if it's something where they had such a tumultuous experience in this rite of passage that I call college admissions, where they end from teenager to really adulthood, it's really hard for them to call back and think of you as a lifeline. So that's where we really support moms a lot. That's awesome. So what's your best advice for moms of seniors? Ooh, uh, for moms that are seniors, oh my God, relish every moment. Mm-hmm. Be in the present moment. It is so easy to get caught up into the next step and the next step. I would say like, remember to take a lot of deep breaths because this is like when your baby leaves, like, and it's not even just hard for you. I remember when I was going to leave for college and like my parents helped me like unpack and all that. And then I came back to Houston and I was going to drive away. And I like came, I'm like tearing up thinking about it. I came back into the house and I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving. So it's not just like you as a mom, it's like, even as a child, we know that this is a big shift. And for some of us, we can't like admit that's hard for us. We're going to put on a really hard shell. And I think as moms, you are the chief emotional officer of that house in a way. That's how I look at it. There's so much you control in terms of like how that house feels. Um, Yeah. As a senior year is really about being present because it is that last beautiful year. She gets to wear that beautiful prom dress. You know, she gets to graduate and look back and like throw that hat. Like it's a beautiful time, especially when you have outside help and you're done with applications. Like all of our students are done with applications. Their junior year summer, they get to enjoy their senior year, take classes, relax. Second semester can be senioritis, just chill, <laughs> you know, and that's how senior year should be. This is the shift, the change. Yeah. So just quickly, so what reassurance can you give moms who are scared to death to let their daughters leave? Oh, it's, it's part of the process. I mean, I think it's one of the biggest gifts you can give, period, is letting them go. Because if we're just doing what only feels good for us, right? Like what's good for me. I hear my sister say it about my niece. You're going to stay in Florida at the school. That's five minutes. Like she's trying to like, I don't know, maybe like preteen. She's trying to like program this. And I'm like, you have no clue what's going to happen. I'm going to get Anya into an Ivy, like get ready. And um, she's trying to like, hang on. You know, she knows she's going to have to let go. And the truth is I've seen the difference of where, when families are really like cling on you see the effects in the 20s and 30s later on, and it's not very pretty. And then the parents that let go and are like, hey, we're here. We've taught you as much as we can. I'm always here for a phone call. Those are the ones that end up pretty gritty. They have higher levels of resilience. You want your kid to be resilient. You don't want them calling you every five minutes later (laughs) on in life. So those are the types of skills that you're giving them by being able to let go, even though it's hard for you. And I do highly recommend, like, if it is really hard, call Colleen, book sessions, because it is a process for you. This is a, something that came out of your body. I mean, that's, that, that is a challenge. So, you know, get yourself the support you need to mentally to get through this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Neha. And I know that you're on a retreat, so thank you for making time. (laughs) Of course, of course. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Next, we have Sherry Dusan. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Sherry helped host my podcast that came out this week. So we are fellow therapists and 
We have known each other for a long time. We had our first babies together. We walk around Rice University together <laughs> um, until she moved. So, so Sherry, tell us a little bit about yourself and the ages of your kids. Yes, I'm also a marriage and family therapist from Houston, University of Houston, Clear Lake. And I have a 25-year-old son and a 23-year-old daughter. And yeah, Colleen and I had lots of walks and lots of breakfasts, walking, <laughs> talking about her kids and, you know, really her newsletters and her book helped me through a lot. And she's also been a, a great friend over the years. So I was really excited that you're writing that next book. And yes. I think it's great. I've loved it. Yes. I went to see Sherry and I was going to start writing my next chapter, Reconnecting to Yourself. And I was like, what is the intro story? What is the intro story? And little did I know I was just living it there. <laughs> so Sherry, can you talk about how you were forced to reconnect with yourself again? And tell us a little bit about that process and how it turned out for you. Yeah. Well, a couple of things I did when my oldest was graduated from high school, I decided to start a business, a second business. I was always in private practice as a therapist, but decided to start a group practice where I could train other folks. So that was my third baby because I didn't want to just be sitting around really sad about the parenting years being over because I, I loved it. But the other thing that happened, this was more when my daughter was leaving, was that I started developing a lot of health issues and I ended up pretty sick in Houston, basically allergic to everything in Houston. So I, I needed to look at a move for my own sake, for my own health. And that was a big deal because I was from Arizona, but I had lived in Houston for 35 years, pretty much all of my adult life. Houston was my journey destination when I was 21, right after college. That's where I headed and ended up staying. It was a big move. I was worried about my kids feeling uprooted if we left the house where they had been raised, you know. I know that that is a real point of privilege, but it was my experience that, you know, that might be hard on them. Turned out to not be really true. They were super happy that we were moving to Arizona because they knew that it would be better for us and it'd be better for me. And I won't go into all the details, but I would say the short answer and kind of what got, got into your book was that it exceeded my expectations. I got so much healthier. I'm actually off all medications after being on them for like 15 years in Houston. And I've had time and space to reconnect with myself, to, to grow the business I started, but also to explore kind of my more artistic side and to enjoy this beautiful place, which I didn't appreciate growing up here, but now I do. And just find out what I wanted to do with this next chapter of my life. Because I did not want to be a mom that just sat around feeling like my life was over because my kids were gone. I didn't feel like that was a good model for them. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that was fair because the whole point is for them to launch, at least in my mind. You know, I took family life cycles too, and I knew that they were supposed <laughs> to leave. And yet, if I sent lots of messages about how I needed them to still need me, I just felt like that was putting an undue burden on them. You know, I really wanted them to feel free to, you know, start their own journey, just like I did when I was 21 and moved to Texas. So yeah. that's in short, kind of my story. Yeah. But, and I remember those, the talks we had around Rice University, it was not easy 
it was not mm-hmm. easy, but you were really, really sick. And what something you said on my podcast is you didn't want to be the mom in bed and super sick. You didn't want to model that for your kids. And so you were really torn. It felt like a really hard decision for you. Mm -hmm. And yet I love that you told me a few days ago, like, oh my gosh, I'm just so tired. But it was because you did a nine mile hike. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you 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 get to be tired after you do a nine mile hike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want my last experiences of my kids being at home with me to be that I was sick in bed and and they were very busy focused outward focused they weren't really paying that much attention I don't think they think about it very much but I was nervous about that I did not want my life to be over at you know in my mid-50s like there's a lot of life ahead and this is the time that we sacrificed many, many years to get to this point. So I'm going to enjoy them and I'm going to be as healthy as possible to do so, you know? Yeah, you and I were talking on the podcast that we that you had to put so many things on hold. You put this thing on hold. So this is a time we don't have to put things on hold anymore. Not anymore, you know, thank goodness. At All right. Least, yeah. So Go what do you think is the biggest challenge for moms in this emerging young adult years? I think it's to stay in that consultant role and that secure home base role rather than having lots of opinions and lots of questions about their every move. (laughs) I don't get as many phone calls from my adult children as I wish I did, but I know that when they call and I start asking, you know, I start with the the hundred questions about why you're doing what you're doing. It it gets pretty quiet on the other end. You know, um, periods of time. (laughs) Yeah, they've gotten really good at also saying, and how are you, mom? What's going on with you? They really flip it on me now because um, they don't want to feel like I'm checking on them or that I'm I'm evaluating whether they're making good choices. You know, we're close and it's all good. And I'm about to head out to see them today. But, you know, they they don't want to feel like they have to justify their every move to me. And they don't. It's a real shift, though, to kind of become their friend and their consultant and their cheerleader, but not be questioning. I mean, we, you know, we took care of their every move for so many years. I've tried to tell them, please be gentle with me. This is a big (laughs) shift for me, too. You know, when I took care of you and made sure you had three meals a day for years and years and years, it's really hard for me to not say, what did you eat today? <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Or, you know, all the things that I did for many, many years. But you know what? They're exceeding my expectations, thank goodness. And, you know, and it's not about me. They're living their lives. And that is exactly what I want them to do. Yeah, no, that mothering urge never goes away, unfortunately. It just, it keeps staying there. One of my friends, I said, what do you think is the hardest thing about being a mom of an emerging young adult. And she says, keeping my mouth shut. So I I think that's, yeah, that's true. So what is the good or the gold that can come out of these years? I mean, I think the good is if you can keep your relationship with your adult child going. I mean, and it's tempting to say that's the gold, like that's the most valuable thing. But I honestly believe the most valuable thing is reconnecting with yourself. And really coming back to who you are and what you love and what you care about 
you know, we have time and space in our lives after the kids are gone to really lean into things that have had to be on the back burner. It may be a cause. It may be a project. It may be returning to school. It may be a book. It may be something else, but I'm a very right brain person. And so I have to live in this world, but my artistic side just grows and grows. And I've had a chance to just have fun with that. You know, I've been able to just do all the the pretty things, you know, work in the garden and paint and, you know, just have fun with that stuff. Go to more music and theater shows than I ever got to when the kids were around. So I think connecting to yourself is really the gold. And I would add, it is the best gift you can give your kids too, because they see you happy and thriving and they can feel free to keep moving on. Because if you give a lot of really sad messages about how much you miss them and how you wish they would call, you know, they can feel really guilty about that and it can, you know, get in the way of them doing what they need to do. So I would say that's the goal, connect to yourself and the good is to keep those relationships going. Good words, Sherry. Thank you so much and have a nice flight to Austin. Thank you, I will. (laughs) All right, so we're gonna bring up Anne McKittrick. Hello. Hey, Anne. So can you tell everybody a little bit about you and the ages of your kids? Sure, I live here right outside of Houston. And I have a a couple of businesses that I started after my kids left the house. One of them is called Texas Child Care Training, and I train early childhood professionals who work in child care centers and need to get their professional development. I have a catalog of online courses, and I do face-to-face training. And then um, my daughter and I started this blog, mommy blog called Nurtured Noggins, which has kind of blown into a business of its own. And I've got a brand new podcast called Parenting in the First Three Years. And I do some courses with Nurtured Noggins and some parent coaching. Yes. And the ages of your kids? Oh, the ages of my kids, 27, 29, and 30. Do they have whole brains now? (laughs) Yes, I think they do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Okay. So your story is in the chapter on the second draft. So you gave up your career to be a full-time mother. And what were some of your fears about how that would impact your career? I've been thinking about this and I, I realized as I look back on my life and my decisions is that when I was in college, I really just wanted to be a mother and have a home. And it ended up that I got a degree in that. (laughs) I have a degree in consumer sciences and education, and then another degree in human development and family studies. And so I studied what I wanted to become, which was a person who had a family. And then it didn't work out that way in my 20s. And so I began my career teaching child development, working in um, the on-campus programs where we took care of children, student families, and then used it as model demonstration schools for education majors and psych majors and stuff. And then I also got to teach part-time. And so whenever I got pregnant um, with my first child, I was happy to stay at home. It just happened that we were able to do that. I don't think that I even thought about my career that much. Like when I decided to make that shift, I think that my 20 something year old brain just wasn't thinking that far ahead. But I also think that I always thought, well, I can always go back to adjunct teaching, which is what I ended up doing initially when kids went to college. 
But when you and I talked back then, you talked about really feeling lost when your kids were little and you feared that you wouldn't be able to teach in college again. Right. I felt like I was, I had given it up by leaving that environment because, you know, you kind of need to be there in order to get the jobs. Yes, I did. I, I felt like I had given up a dream and it was a painful thing to give that dream up. I was also at the same time happy to be at home with my kids, but it, it was a, a pull. It was a, it was a pull. I think a lot of moms feel that ambivalence. You're glad to be with your kids, but you also feel like a loss. It's like we have these multiple feelings at all times. Sure. And so the whole purpose of like the second draft is when you realize, oh, I didn't really lose my career. It actually, my experience helped me have even a better reach. You right. want to talk about that? Because my field is early childhood education, I was I lived it for all of those years. We also fostered some babies. And so I, I had a lot of kids in our house. I was just able to see what it was like to really be a mom. You know, here I was helping moms in my work, but I didn't, I hadn't experienced it. And so it gave me a richness in my understanding of how to talk to parents, how to have insight and experience to share instead of just book knowledge on it. And then as I'm doing what I'm doing today, I'm able to draw on things that I wouldn't have been able to draw on had I not had the experience all right. So with your experience of raising your kids, what was challenging for you? And what do you think is challenging for moms in these emerging young adult years? The thing that I expected is I thought that my kids would pretty much be kind of like me and they were not. They were their own people. And that comes out, especially so in the teen years and in the young adult years when they are beginning to separate and it becomes so obvious, you know, that you're not like me. I don't think like that. <laughs> Understanding what I know about child development and knowing what they were going through, but actually living it was were two different things. And being able to step back and look at their unique differences, their unique perspective on the world and find it within me to open up my hand and let that go it was a very emotional process, letting letting go of that and watching them go out. All of our kids went out of state to college. They all have lives that are very not next door. You know, they're out in different places. Learning to just embrace their uniqueness and embrace their decisions and allow them to have natural consequences for those decisions and not step in. And also to not be consulted. Y'all were talking about that earlier. That is a hard thing when they don't even like ask you what you think about decisions that they're making. And so that's the good. And that's also the difficulty, I think, of those years. Yeah. So what did you find that was good about those emerging young adult years? Watching them become who they were and watching them learn from the things that we were allowing them to experience. You know, I, I tell the story of our son who he had just gotten into trouble. He got into some big trouble in college and we helped him financially get out of that trouble, but we also insisted that he pay us back. And so that Christmas, 
when he was deep in debt to us, emotionally as well as financially, when everyone was home for Christmas, our Christmas present to him was to help pay off that debt. And so he got some new guitar strings for Christmas that year. And it was the most painful thing I think I can even remember as a parent (laughs) is having Christmas morning where everybody's got, you know, like five, seven presents to open. He had the one and he had these guitar strings. And a little later on, that day, put the strings on his guitar. He was up there playing in his bedroom, just sitting there playing his beautiful music. And I went and I laid on the bed and I said, I'm so sorry today went the way it did. And he goes, oh, mom, I did it to myself. It's no no big deal. <laughs> and I just realized as I look back on that, that was a great illustration of the fact that he took responsibility for his actions and that he had learned from it through this painful experience of making him pay when we didn't have to have him pay us back. I mean, we could have lived fine without him paying us back, but we insisted and that's That's one of my good gold. Yeah, no, that's an awesome story. Well, thank you so much, Anne. This has been great. You're welcome. So uh, we're going to bring up Sue Ludwig. Hi. (laughs) Hey, Sue. So glad you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Sue is another one of my accountability partners. You can't have too many. You just, you just need thousands of them. So Sue, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the ages of your kids? Sure. I'm Sue Ludwig and I am in my work world. I'm a president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, which is a professional organization for OTPT speech therapists who work with premature and sick infants in the NICU. And I'm a recent new author as well. So that's been a fun, fun addition. And Colleen and I got to write our books at the same time, which was amazing. And Beth Brand on this call was our light in both the journeys, I think. So, and I have two children. I have a son that is 25 and a daughter that will soon be 23. Yay. Yes. And I've known Colleen for, I think, what, 13 years now? And uh, we have hiked 1 million miles and uh, left all the things that we find hard in the mountains. So yes, that is true. Yes. I think it was 2009 and Elaine was actually with us. So we were part of a mastermind led by Christine Kane. And we used to travel and meet four times a year. So we were in Tucson. Tucson is a theme today. So we were in Tucson. And this was a fun group. And I need to tell you, Elaine is a lot of fun. She is a very fun person. And so we had this one day of masterminding and which is basically getting one-on-one coaching, you know, with Christine. And back then it was like, I don't know, was, was it like an hour and a half session? I think so. Yeah, it was long. It was an hour and a half and she's super intense. And so it was like, you'd watch these sessions and you'd be going like, yikes, yikes, like. And so I wasn't the first day. So I mean, it was awesome, but it was like, she really got into your excuses and challenged you. And she was holding us up to be our biggest self. But in Texas, we call it crawfishing, which is when someone's saying, okay, where are you going to commit to that? You start going excuses, 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 and you back up. (laughs) That night of that first day of the mastermind was super intense. So then we had dinner as a group. There were about 12 of us. And then we had some wine and we sat in a circle. There were a lot of fun people in that group and we might've had two glasses of wine. 
And we were kind of laughing about how intense Christine was. And at that time, Christine walked through the lobby and we thought Christine would think that was funny. I don't know what we said because we had two glasses of wine and we told her that. And Christine did not think it was funny. And she just kind of walked off. So the next morning, we're walking to the hotel and we go to our meeting room. And then there was this big, huge post-it note on the door. And this is what it said. You are entering the official, and this is written by the coach, all in colorful markers. It's very pretty. You are entering the official play big zone. The following is prohibited. Sarcasm, whining, complaining, blaming anyone or anything about your results, distracting or self-deprecating humor, being a victim. The following is required taking full responsibility for your life and your results, claiming the powerful woman you are, recognizing that your clarity makes you unstoppable, deciding to live from your clearest, highest whole self, becoming the person you are destined to be, full engagement, no checking out. This is not a joke. Take one moment, get still inside, be clear, be powerful, then and only then, step inside. We all stood around that door with our mouths open, right? You remember that? Yes, I remember. <laughs> Perfectly, yes. <laughs> you want to say anything about what you remember of that moment? One, it just made me literally sit up straighter in my chair right now still. So <laughs> what I felt in the moment was a lot like that. I, I felt really kind of startled seen in not a good way, you know, like, oh yeah, that was us. And I felt that sort of like jolt of clarity that you know is the truth, like a moment. It was truly like, I'm going to either cross over this threshold that she has just put down or not. And so I just felt kind of regrounded, but kind of thrown there, you know, it was definitely, I think a moment of clarity for all of us. And I did feel like rut row, like we got in trouble, but in sort of the best way, it taught me a lot about that intentionality. Wow. We weren't going to move forward without it. So it was a moment. <laughs> yeah. I think kind of looking back at it, all that humor was really about our fear yeah. about taking that next step and playing big in our lives. Like we weren't 18. We were acting like 18 year olds. Yes. Like we were grown blank women. We were- yes but we were acting like kids because we were scared. So once you reconnect to your life, you have an opportunity to dial up your dream as moms. We were being invited into that. Yes. I felt like there were no more excuses on the vision bus at all. <laughs> and, you know, it was just fine line in the sand. And I have felt that same thing. Yeah. In life in motherhood in everything. Oh, I get to decide. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Elaine and Sue and I did go inside. We did walk inside and we did sit straighter in our chairs. Can you tell people where you were like in your business at that time and in life and where you are now? Wow. Um, at that time, I don't know if I really had a business yet, meaning I was working on it and it hadn't been birthed into the world yet. So I was in the background, I think that year, working on the idea of the national organization. 
but no one knew that except you guys, except about the 10 of us or however many of us there were. And so I I didn't know anything about being in business or forming an organization. That's why I was there. Uh, I didn't have clue on, I was a therapist, a clinical therapist. And so I was in the very beginning before the beginning. And now, so 13 ish years later, Nant is a, you know, accepted organization in the world. We have thousands of members. We have members in over 20 countries. We've just held our 12th annual conference with over 500 people. And, you know, we're changing our little corner of the world for therapists and babies. And it's sort of a lot of big things like that in my life, whether they're outward like that or internal, I think started with moments of clarity like that. Yeah. <laughs> whether, you know, yeah. it was a moment. Yeah. I find interesting is that I would say about half of our group really decided to step over that line and to take mm-hmm. what we could do in the world seriously. And I think the other half didn't. And they're still complaining about the same sort of things you know, on Facebook. (laughs) Yes, I believe that's true. And I think we had an opportunity there. And I think that what I've learned a lot from you and is, you know, that opportunity doesn't go away. It's just, it's the same everywhere in everything that we do. Yeah. So what were some of your challenges in mothering a young adult daughter? (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I would say that some of the challenges were like what you said before is one is just being quiet, listening more than I talked was a challenge. I like to fix things, you know, so if there's a problem, I love to just try to go fix it. And I think one of the hardest things was to not try to go fix everything for her and let her experience some really hard things and let that be her experience and not all clouded up with my directionality. (laughs) Um, So I think that was a really hard thing. And also to let her be finding herself and what was different about her than me over and over again, she would want to do this really big thing. And I would say like, gosh, are you sure you want to do all that? You sure? You sure? You sure? And her being like, yes, like basically stop, stop all the worrying. (laughs) And so I think the being quiet And letting her find her own way was probably the hardest thing. Yeah. So hard. Yes. (laughs) Continuously hard. Um, So what was the gold? I think the gold is uh, ongoing, but I think the gold is the connection that we have, that we had then, but seeing it transform as she gets older into more of just this mature relationship between us that we really enjoy each other and And I think some of the best parts of it to me are just watching her. Like I get to be inspired by her and I get to watch her, you know, grow and flourish and fail and figure stuff out and how much joy there is in that when I'm not trying to control it. (laughs) And the more I try to control it, the less joy there is. (laughs) <laughs> for everybody involved. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's perfect. Like the higher levels of correlation between high levels of control and like miserable. Yes, for all of us. So yes. I, I just have noticed that in myself and the more I'm trying to yeah, be the fixer, the controller, yeah, nobody's happy. So, um, so, but I, we just got to spend, you know, a weekend together last weekend and, uh, and she, cause she's 
11 hours away. And it's just the fun is that I, we just really both looked forward to that and we got to enjoy each other. And that's some serious goal. That's all I ever want from that. Yeah. Well, I saw your social media pictures and I mean, you truly, both of y'all were shining. (laughs) It is, was so happy. And that is, is, that is those moments. And I wrote in my book that my intro, my daughter came for the first part of my trip where I was supposed to write my intro. And I kind of knew I wouldn't get anything done with her there. And I didn't, nothing, (laughs) nothing done. So I'd extend my trip, but it was so much fun to, to be with her. So those are, and then they leave and then you're like, so the leaving is always hard. Yes. The leaving, even just this weekend, going back into the airport, like so hard so hard, but I'm really grateful. And, and not that all the times were remotely easy, but no, they never are such a, such a journey. I'm just grateful to be on. Yeah. So what advice do you have for moms of emerging young adult daughters? (laughs) I think have a lot of grace for yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's hard. It's hard and give them that space to find out who they are. And I actually asked my daughter this question when we, knowing that we were going to do this Uh when we were out to dinner last weekend. And I said, what do you think is helpful? You know, when in those years for you on the other side of me (laughs) and, um, and she said, not being judged. Ooh. And she said, you know, a lot of the reasons my friends didn't go to their parents were because they were afraid of being judged. Mm. And so I'm not saying I never did that privately or anything like that, but, um, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting. Um, mm. But I do think having a lot of self-forgiveness for things that we screw up, which we inevitably will, and then in being able to show our daughters that it's okay to go back and apologize and say, I wasn't who I wanted to be you in that moment and apologize because I don't, sometimes I think we're afraid to look like we messed up. Yeah. That we're human. Yeah. Those moments you apologize actually bring y'all closer. Yes. But that judging thing is, it's like so easy for moms, but it does never, it never helps. Never helps. Personally, (laughs) I don't enjoy it being judged either. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, no one likes to be judged. And I always say like, if you went to lunch with someone and treated you the way you treat your daughter, like, would you want to have lunch with them again? <laughs> wow. That's, that's clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sue. This has been sure. great. Thank you. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.